Lord, thank you for the time that we've had in your presence. Thank you for your word promised us that wherever two or three of us are gathered, you'd be here. Thank you for making yourself present amongst us. Thank you for already starting to speak to us. Thank you for touching our lives. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for the things that you've done today, where you've made all things new. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we continue to receive from you this morning as we bow our hearts before you and ask that you will speak to us from the abundance of your heart. In Jesus' name. So for people who have not been here a long time or who are new today, we've been going through the Bible series, and today we're going to look at the book of James. In case you're worried that I didn't bring a Bible up with me and I'm about to preach from the Bible, I have actually brought the Passion Bible, and this one is just about Hebrews and James. If you don't understand Hebrews, I'd encourage you to buy the Passion Bible. Hebrews can be very hard, although Kofu made it really simple last week, but I found Hebrews really difficult. But if you really, if you want to borrow my copy, you can borrow it. But that, so the Passion Bible, I'm not an agent for the people that do this, but they <laughs> break the Bible down into understandable everyday. Ah, Lydia's got a big version. Oh, did you read from that this morning? Yeah. The Psalms. And it just makes it in everyday English that we can understand. So that's, that's really good. So James, did anybody know that the James who wrote James is actually the younger brother of Jesus? I didn't know that until I was studying to do this. Apparently, his real name is actually Jacob, because apparently James is not a, a Hebrew name. Jacob is the Hebrew version of James. So he was a younger brother of Jesus, and people, Bible scholars believe that it was that James that wrote the Bible, because you'll remember that there, there's another James who is the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, that Jesus described as the, as the sons of thunder. But that James was killed by Herod in AD 42. But this book is believed to have been written about between AD 45 and 55. And I believe that it was this same James that the Bible talked about when the Bible records that after Jesus resurrected, he showed himself to James and then to the other apostles. I believe that he was his younger brother. Who else would he show up for if not for his younger brother? And, and then after that, Jesus appeared to all the other apostles. And... I, I have cause to believe that James may not have actually believed in Jesus before he resurrected. Because if you remember, his brothers were pushing him. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really the Christ, go and show yourself at the, at the feast. When that, that wasn't the plan and purpose of God for Jesus at that time. So I believe that he may have be believed after that. But he did believe he became one of the leaders in, in the Church of Christ at that time. And if we start from verse 1, you'll find, James 1 verse 1, you'll find that he didn't describe himself. Where's that coming from? <laughs> he didn't describe himself as James, the brother of the Lord Jesus. He actually didn't pull rank at all. He described himself as the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
that I, I, I actually thought there would have been no, nothing wrong in him saying, oh, I grew up with him, we grew up in the same household, I played pranks with him, and, and, thing, and things like that. And maybe I would have wanted to read James before I read any of the others, because this is uh, the account of somebody that actually lived in the same home with him, saw him being vulnerable, saw him, they grew up together, they probably played football together. But he didn't describe himself as that, he just described himself as the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God. And that just made me think, when we boast, what do we boast of? Because in 1 Corinthians 1.31 it says, Therefore, whoever boasts, let him boast in the Lord. We can boast in the Lord because we're children of God. Because I, I like to brag on Jesus. I like to brag that I'm a child of God. I'm a princess of the Most High God. I like to boast about things like that. But let our boasting be about the Lord, not about who we are as people, but about who we are in Christ. And I just want, this brought me to another question. If we don't boast that we're Christians, why don't we boast that we're Christians? In a, in a gathering of believers like this, it's easy for us to boast about who we are in Christ because we all, we all understand each other. We all understand that language. But do we boast about who we are when we're in the workplace? Do we boast about who we are when we're with people who are not familiar with the concept of who we are? I know that there's something to be said about living Christ out, but I'm a firm believer in also speaking Christ out, letting people know who we are, boasting in him. Some, some people think that it's wrong for us to boast at all because we're children of God. But I love Moses. Do you remember the story of Moses when he said to his brother, his father-in-law, come with us and we will do you good? Because he knew the God that he believed. He knew the God that was going with them. He knew the God that had taken them out of Egypt with a strong arm of power. And he was able to say to his unbelieving father-in-law, come with us and we will do you good. And that's who we are. We're people who are equipped to do the world good. And we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't have this false humility that stops us from talking about who we are because sometimes it's because we're afraid that if we build ourselves up, we might let people down because our lives, if they don't correspond with what we've said, they think, oh, so what was that all about then? And I have to say, I stand here before you to say that. James was one book that I, re I really struggled with this book because apart from the fact that you could preach a series on James for the whole year and there'll still be more to preach about because James was just full of wisdom. Every page, every, every, almost every verse is just a book of wisdom. There's so much wisdom there that if you started to unpack it, we'll never finish. We just, we'd, there'd be, if we were all given a task of studying something from James, and bringing it, I'm sure that we would all have got something different from the book of James because it's so rich. And so when I came to start preparing for this, I felt really challenged. I felt challenged because there's a, there, there are a lot of things that I read in the book of James that made me feel like looking at myself in the mirror. And indeed, James talks about when we look in the mirror, when we look in the mirror, which is a word of life, we see ourselves as we truly are. So let's not be that person that looks at himself, sees himself as he truly is, and goes away and forgets who he is. I, I started studying the book of James, and I felt like 
I'd fallen short in a lot of places when I put my, when I put my life against the word of God. I could see the gaps that needed to be filled. I could see, I could see where there was dirt. The, let, let me, just while I was here this morning, and I was still praying into God helping me to bring this message, God reminded me of a prophetic word that I brought at Empowered last year. Who was at Empowered last year? If you've heard this before, please feel free to cover your ears or feel free to let it help you again. But I just felt God lead me to read this out again. I, I had to go and find it. I couldn't remember where I'd written it down. I was looking at my phone. I was trying to find if I'd sent it to somebody, and then I found it. So let me just read to you about the mirror that's the word of God. And, and this is the prophetic quote that I brought that Saturday morning. Look at yourself in the mirror. Tell me, what do you see? Do you see someone whom I have handcrafted in my own image? Or do you see someone who is not enough? You don't need anybody's permission to be whom I have made you to be. You already are. You don't need to be acknowledged or appointed by men because I have already endorsed you. The only person that can stop you from being fully whom I have made you to be is you. No man can't, the devil can't, and I won't. So stand up tall. Look at yourself through the mirror of my eyes. See your reflection through my eyes. If you're not seeing clearly, it's because you're looking in the dark. Switch the light on. My word is your light. Let my word bring the light that interprets what you see in the mirror. I feel like this little bit, I'm, I'm hesitating because there's a little bit that I'm not sure is relevant to where we are today, but I feel led to read this bit out to you, so I'm going to do that as well. I have given you a master key. For some of you, I have given you a key, a master key. When you have unlocked your situation, I am calling you to use that key over and over again to unlock other situations and other, in other people's lives. Will you be faithful to that? Start with the little steps, and I will watch you walk and run and fly. Just keep coming back to look at your reflection through my eyes and nobody else's eyes. So when I was preparing this message, I just found so many areas where I needed to get right. I needed things to get right. And I stand before you today not because I am perfect, but because together God wants to take us on a journey of bringing us from one degree of glory into another in his purposes for us as a people. So James 1 chapter, uh, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you needs wisdom, ask God for it. God is generous and he's ready to give all that, to all that ask. He will never say you are wrong to ask. He will give you what you need. Does anybody need wisdom this morning? Okay, there are a few people who don't need I always need wisdom. I, I dare say we all do. And I believe that we need every single one of us to cultivate a habit of asking God for wisdom in all the things that we do. Even the things we know how to do very well already. In, in, 
at, from the beginning of this year, God's been teaching me to ask him, ask him, because there's not one, one, because I've done it this way the last time doesn't mean that I have to do it this way this time. I should seek God for the specific way in which, it, 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 this really is more to do with my work. For every hearing that I have, I started going back to God, not to, because I didn't want to do it the way I did that the last time, but I wanted, I wanted God to give me the key that will open the door for that particular case, that it will be exactly what needs to be said at that time. It will be exactly what that person needed me to bring on their behalf at that time. I know the good thing about us, us asking God for, God for wisdom is that he already wants to give us wisdom. And you know why he wants us to, give, to have wisdom? So that when we do things excellently, he gets the glory. So it comes, it goes round and comes round. We ask him for wisdom. He gives us the wisdom that we need. He gets the glory when we performed excellently. And so let's ask God for wisdom. Let's stop doing things in our own understanding. Um, and we, we all love that song when we, I, I can't remember the number of times when I've sang that song, a lot of time in tears. Lord, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. You know, asking God for wisdom. Yeah, you like that song as well, don't you? I remember you said that too. Yeah, so, and, and he wants to give it to us in order that his name may be glorified, not so that we can get the glory for ourselves, but that all the glory will return to him. Right. So my next, my next passage, so James is, is a, a lot of it is about faith, and he'll expect me to talk about faith and then compare and contrast with when Paul says faith is faith. Salvation comes by faith, everything comes by faith, and James, on the other hand, is saying, Yes, show me your faith, but show me your work that goes along with your faith, and they have to be hand in hand. Those two messages are not contradictory. They complement each other, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. You'll probably also expect me to talk about, because one of the big passages in James is about the power of the tongue. Again, I'm not going to talk about that this morning, but what I'd encourage everybody to do, if you haven't studied the book of James, you should. It's quite short, really. Uh, but it's so full of wisdom. It's almost like the New Testament version of Proverbs, but in a more condensed, shorter, shorter version. So I'd encourage everybody to read the whole book of James again. Even if you've read it before, just read it again. So if we read from James 2, 1 to 4. My Christian brothers and sisters, you trust the Lord who is full of glory. So do not value one person more than another. Suppose that a rich man is wearing gold rings and good clothes and comes to your meeting place. A poor man, is, a poor man who is wearing old clothes also comes in. You show more respect for the man who is wearing good clothes than you do to the poor. You say to the rich man, please sit in this good seat. But to the poor man, you say, stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. If you do this, you're making a wrong distinction between them. You're judging them based on your own evil thinking. I think that, by and large, in King's Church, we don't tend to do that. Am I correct in saying that we don't tend to do that? Yes, I, th I think by and large, we don't tend to. I'd say if we did it, but I don't think that we do that. I think we're very good at treating 
people were, were not, especially because here, everybody dresses the same. You don't know who is a millionaire because everybody rolls up in jeans and t-shirts. You don't know who is, who is not able to afford their next meal because we all blend, we all look the same. So by and large, and we have people like, like the good doctor sitting at the back who helps us with our VIP events and we look after even the marginalized in our community. So we're, we're pretty good about that. But one thing that I've found that we are challenged with, and I'm, I'm making this comparison now with the rich and the poor, I'm making the comparison in that the way that we respond to people who have mental health issues is different to the way that we respond to people who don't. I think it's because we're embarrassed. When people have a physical illness, we'll stand there and pray for them, and most of the, some of the time we see them healed, or even if they're not healed immediately, Maybe they get healed progressively and we're, we're happy and comfortable and confident with doing that. But when it comes to mental health issues, it really challenges us as Christians. And because we don't know how to deal with that, we tend to avoid dealing with it. And we tend to avoid interacting with people who have mental health issues amongst us. And again, because we're very good Christians and we know that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, most of us, we'll make the effort to at least say hello to them. But we don't we put up a shield because, oh, I don't want to say anything that will upset them. Oh, I don't want them to get too close because they may then be very demanding of my time, and I don't know when they're going to get well, and I don't know if I really have the space in my life to deal with all of this right now. And so I make that comparison saying, if somebody is physically ill, we can deal with that, but because it's something that we don't understand and it confronts us and it confounds us and we have absolutely no idea, then we deal with it that way. Am I, am I correct in thinking that, or is that just me? I feel challenged when somebody who has mental health issues come in my life. I'm immediately thinking, I don't know how to help them. I don't know what to do. I walked into a church office once, and uh, um, uh, this, this has stayed with me all the time since I, I had this experience. It must be about eight, ten years ago. I walked into a church office, and I was there doing something, and somebody was coming in, and the people in the office could see them through the door, and they were like, oh, there's your friend coming again. And they were talking about this person, and they were saying, is coming to see this particular person, but that person won't see them because they've told them to do this and do this and do this, and they haven't done it, so they're not going to see them. And I felt really heartbroken because it seems like we don't understand that people who have mental health issues don't want to be like that. They're not in control of how they are. So if you've given them instructions to go and do this and do that, because it's in their interest for them to do those things, Sometimes, with all the, all the will in the world, even though they want to do that, they can't do it. It's something that's outside of their, of their power to be able to achieve that. And we think that if it's somebody with a physical illness, like if somebody breaks their leg now and I tell them, you need to go and see a physiotherapist to help you get that moving again. They won't have a problem with that because they understand what they're saying. They understand that what I'm saying to them is in their best interest. But it's not the same with somebody who has a mental health issue. They want the help, but they don't know how to 
even when the help is available for them, because they are in that position where they're not in their right mind, they can't do that, what we're asking them to do. And so, for all of us, I'm challenging all of us, including myself as I, as I stand here to speak, if I had a mental health issue, how would I want people to re relate with me? Maybe if we start from there, it will make things easier for us in the way we relate to people. If I had a mental health issue, how would I want people to interact with me? I'm sorry, I know this, this is really difficult to hear. This is, this is, well, I, I'm a pragmatist. I don't like to just talk about the theory of things. I like to talk about how we live practically as Christians, and wherever we are having challenges, we can seek the help of the Lord to do, to do what we need to do right. So there are people who are mentally challenged amongst us. We all probably know somebody or the other who is mentally challenged. How can we help them? How can we make them feel like when they come in, they actually feel like that rich man that we're treating like, you sit here sit here and, and all of us want the best for you, all of us. And, and, and sometimes we don't even need to do anything. We don't need, even need to fall over ourselves. To, sometimes all it needs is a hello, how are you? And just, I don't, I don't believe that God has called all of us into a ministry of, there are people who are very good at things like that. Carrie is very good at things like that. She has a ministry towards people who have mental health issues. I'm not saying that we've all been called to that, but we've all been called to be our brother's keeper. We've all been called to treat each other the same, to value each other, because the diversity that exists amongst us is what makes us who we are. So the people who have these issues are not lesser people than we are. Some, most of the time, it's not something that's that they've brought upon themselves. And even when people have brought it upon themselves, maybe let's say people were into drugs and things like that and they brought this upon themselves, it's not our place to judge. Our place is to love them and treat them the same as we would want other people to treat us. So. I just want to talk about one, one more. I talk about one more thing that I've struggled with while I've gone through this. So it's in James 4, 1 to 3. And my subtext for that was desires and divisions. You know where all the fights and quarrels among you come from. They come from your desires for pleasure, which are always fighting in you. You want something, but you cannot have it, so you are ready to kill. You desire it so much that you quarrel and fight for it, you, but you cannot obtain it. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. When you do ask, you do not receive anything. This is because you ask for the wrong reason. Thank God that I don't think there's anybody here who will kill for anything that somebody else has. Thank God that we are all children of God. But I'm... Um, Lightening this to, if you come across somebody who is gifted in a particular area or whom you think God is using mightily in a particular area, how does that make you feel? Are you ever jealous of their gifting? Do you know what? If you are, that's natural. But we're not natural people. With the Holy Spirit walking inside of us, 
We are supernatural beings who can rise above the pettiness that typifies this world. So this, for me, is where discipleship comes in. When you see somebody that has a gifting that you desire, why don't you get alongside them and ask them to disciple you in that gifting? And you, you may not even have to verbalize that. If you insert yourself into their lives, I know that because we're English, we like our own space and we don't like people to intrude in our lives. But I don't know anybody who, if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, Daniel, I like the way that you have the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. Can I spend some time with you so that some of what you have will rub rub off on me? I doubt whether, as much as Daniel probably likes his privacy, I doubt that you'll turn somebody away and say, no, that's for me. I'm not sharing. (laughs) I don't think anybody will do that. And and so instead of thinking, oh, why is it always him? Why is it him that stands up every Sunday to bring a word? (laughs) We can can get alongside. So obviously, if, if that makes you feel like that, it's probably because you want what he has. So why don't you get discipled by him so that you can have what he wants? And, and Paul actually talks about laying hands on someone to receive gifts, so that can happen as well when we humble ourselves. And also for people who have giftings in particular areas, if, if you have a gifting in a particular area and you see somebody that's their burden in that gift, you begin to see signs of that gift in them, do you feel threatened by them? Do you feel like, oh, Maybe 10 years, in 10 years' time, I'll be forgotten and it will be them that are standing up here. Do you feel like that? Again, if you do feel like that, that, the world feels like that. And the world in which we live now is one where they teach you to be the best you can in every area you can, to climb as fast and as, as quickly as possible. And don't worry about anybody else. It doesn't matter about anybody else because it's about you. You have to think about number one. You have to put number one first. But that's not the kingdom way. The kingdom way is that we bring each other up because there's so much in the kingdom of God that will never exhaust the resources of God. The fact that I give into somebody's life does not mean that I'll ever lack because God, as long as God remains my source, as, I'm, as long as I'm not my own source, There'll always be plenty. And the more you give out, the more you get. The more you give, the more you get. The more you give. That's the way the kingdom of God works. So can I encourage people, if there's a particular gifting in your life, don't wait for people to come to you and ask you to disciple them. Get alongside people. Disciple them in that. But for me, I, Dave and Philippa have been talking a lot about discipleship recently, but this is something that I'm really very passionate about as well. And if I'm pouring into you and I'm discipling you, my expectation is that you're pouring into somebody else and discipling them as well. So it's not that somebody is pouring into you and you just sit there and just enjoy it. Have you seen, I don't, I don't know if, have you seen sponges that sit in a little water for some time? Do you know that instead of, so if so, if you use a sponge, like those net type sponges that people use. If you use your sponge, you will hang it up so that the water comes out of it. But if you leave it in a stagnant place, 
It will attract bacteria, it will become yucky and disgusting, and it will be useless. So that's the way it should be with the giftings of God in our lives. So if you want to, if you want to increase in the gifting that God has placed in your life, you give it out. Get more, give it out. Get more, give it out. Get more, give it out. And that's the way that God has ordained it, so that the body may profit with all. So that it's not about you, it's about the body of Christ, so that we all may grow and come into full maturity of everything that God wants us to be as a people when we're all pouring into each other's lives because that's the way God wants his body to prosper. So finally, I'm going to read from James 5, 13 to 15. If anyone amongst you is in trouble, that person should pray to God. If anyone amongst you is cheerful, that person should sing praises to God. If one of you is sick, let him ask for the church elders to come. They will pour oil on the sick person and pray in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well. So can I just deal with that last one first? So when it says, if you're sick, ask for the elders to come and anoint you with oil. But remember that what it said is not that the oil, the anointing oil will heal you, but that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I want to address this to my people who believe in the anointing oil so much that they think that the anointing oil has a power on its own to do something outside of the prayer of faith. It doesn't. Somebody told me a story where they weren't entitled to these holidays, but they needed to take these holidays because they had something that they needed to do. So they wrote a letter requesting for the holiday, and they put anointing oil on the letter so that as soon as their manager got that letter, ah, the anointing oil will just change their mind, give them what they didn't deserve in the first place. Uh, but the manager, too, was a Christian and knew how these things worked and called them and said, did you put anointing oil in this letter? <laughs> because you think that it will make me give you what you didn't deserve. So... It's not about the anointing oil. It's the power, it's the prayer of faith that will heal the sick. So when we come to God in prayer and when it says, if you have any problem in your life, pray. We need to pray constantly. We need to pray ceaselessly. We need to pray. We can never be prayed out. We can never, never not need to pray. So even if you're not in trouble, let's cultivate a habit of praying. I always say to people that, you don't have to pray. I, I know Dave and Philippa will probably tell me off later because I'm standing here as a leader in this church and saying, you don't have to pray every morning. Because if it becomes a chore, and the only reason that you're praying every morning is because that's what you do, that defeats the purpose of prayer. Because the purpose of prayer is a relationship between a child and father. So if, I, if my son comes to me in the morning and says, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I want you to do that, I want you to do that, and doesn't speak to me again until the next morning when he comes to give me my orders for the day, that's not how prayer is supposed to work. It's a relationship that carries on throughout the day. Throughout the day, you're having conversations with your father, the lover of your soul, the person that you have an intimate relationship with. 
So it's good to have that habit, de develop the discipline of having a set time, but don't constrict yourself to that. Don't not talk to God because you've done your 15 minutes so that you can tick that box in the morning. Develop a style of talking when you're driving, when you're in the shower, when you're about to speak to somebody, when somebody comes to you for support or advice or anything, pray. Pray, ask God for wisdom. Ask God how to deal with, with the issue. And we have prayer meetings in this church. Try and come to one. I know that the 6.45 might be difficult for some people because you have to get the children ready for school. You have to get to work at a particular time. Sometimes I only come for half an hour in the morning. And I'm not coming because that's what we do on, on, on Tuesday morning at 6.45. I come because there's a lot of power when we get together to pray as children of God. There's a lot. We, we rub each other up and, and, and sharpen each other and, and like, God, God is there in our midst when we pray. If the early morning ones are too early for you, try and get to one of the, the Friday evening ones. Even if, it's, even if you can only manage it once a month, make a determination to join the people of God in spending time praying together. If you can't get to the ones that we organize here, organize one with your friends and your family and pray together. Spend time praying together. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts.